Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Hey all you cool cats and kittens out there and welcome to the Omega Particle. I am once again your quarantined host, Jonathan Wiegand. And we are deep, deep, deep in the Trek bunker on the eastern coast of these United States. And I'm very excited today to finally start our Borg series and deep dive into Star Trek's, I would argue, the best villain in all of Star Trek and definitely the most um, time-devoted villain in all of Star Trek. Hold on to your hats. It's going to be very in-depth. Um, probably going to take two to three episodes to cover all of the Borg ins and outs. Now, if you've watched TNG and you've seen all of the TNG movies, then this first episode is definitely probably going to be a rehash for you. You know a lot of this and you may pick up some cool little facts along the way. And I definitely learned a lot while researching this villain. But if you've never, ever watched TNG, religiously or if you've never seen the movies then this will all be new to you and i know a lot of my um friends and family listen and they're not really trek people so this will all be new for you guys and just welcome along it's it's pretty crazy <laughs> these uh psychedelic cyborgs that we call the borg and um, before i get into it i just want to do a quick shout out to the hemdale group which is our local chapter of starfleet which is the largest fan base. They've been so warm and welcoming to me, especially during this COVID-19 time. And um, they've been great. They've sent me a bumper sticker and they've um, definitely shot out emails, social media to listen to Omega Particle. So I definitely appreciate it of that and can't wait to hang out with them in the future. But with no further ado, let's go into the big baddies of Star Trek, the Borg. a subspace message to Admiral Hanson. We have engaged the Borg. Before we really get into the meat of this episode, I want to cover just kind of where we're going with the Borg. Um, today's episode will mainly be kind of a backstory of the Borg, how the producers and the writers develop this villain why they chose this villain, and then going into specifics about who the Borg are, how they operate, how are they commanded, and more specific. And then next couple episodes, we will be doing the history of the Borg. And the Borg go from around earliest recording is 1480s, 1484, to all the way up to the 25th century. So we'll be covering that. And then also throughout that history timeline, we'll be dealing with how each captain dealt with the Borg. Now they all deal with the Borg differently. You can say, well, maybe it was just Picard, but no. Archer dealt with them. Cisco dealt with them. Of course, Picard dealt with them. Janeway. So you can really see the differences in how the captains 
approached the Borg and which ones were successful and which, which ones were just terrible. <laughs> so we'll, um, we'll go into that in future episodes. But today is mainly diving into who they are, how they operate, and how they were created. And we're going to cover some creation stories of the Borg, and that is one of the most hotly contested and debated subjects in all of the Borg lore. But before we get into that, we're going to get into some backstory about the Borg. With TNG coming out in the late 80s, early 90s, the writers and producers were searching for this new villain and to be the main villain of the TNG series. Now, originally, and if you've seen all of TNG, you know this, it was the Ferengi. And at first, the Ferengi were portrayed as these kind of greedy and conniving and skeeving enemies, and they were the original the original ones, the original villains for the whole series. However, it was kind of failed because they were more comical. Their main motive was free market and capitalistic ideals. And so that really didn't land as a serious villain because each the Frangi aren't this formidable opponent. Now you may be asking, well, why not the Klingons or why not the Romulans? And the Klingons, of course, because of the Kittimer Accords and launching into peace of those accords, as in Star Trek VI. Now with the Treaty of Algoron, the Romulans actually became friendly. And that's the treaty that established a neutral zone. Now the the Romulans are kind of the low-key Cold War villain of TNG. And there's never any direct huge war, but they always have these little skirmishes in the neutral zone. And the writers and producers were searching for another villain and they found them in the Borg since the Ferengi kind of fell away and it wasn't a um, serious villain. I mean, the Frankie don't even get really dive deep and developed until DS9 when you have Quark and Rom and, and you go into Franginar. The producers and writers were definitely more subtle in introducing the Borg. And one of the ways they did this was in a definitely season two. There are a few episodes. One was called Q Who and the Neutral Zone. And the Neutral Zone was the episode where um, the Romulan empire and the federation were having colonies destroyed on both sides and they couldn't figure out who was destroying them because they were wiped these colonies were just completely wiped out so they couldn't figure out who was destroying these colonies and why and it led into this like big ordeal and it was kind of the standoff q who q introduces the enterprise to the borg by pushing them out i think into like way past the delta quadrant and 70,000 light years away or something like that. And so um, that's how we're initially introduced to the Borg. But it's always, oh, they're so far away, we're not going to have to worry about them. Now we do have to worry about them. So now that we know why the producers came up with them and how they were subtly introduced, we're going into who the Borg are and exactly why they are the way that they are. And this is gets very... Again, if you are a big TNG fan, you've probably already heard this, but if you're wanting to get into Picard, this is a great recap for you. From the top, the Borg are a cybernetic race. They are, of course, both mechanical and biological. They have both parts. They're stronger than the average human and come with this adaptive shielding. Um, it'll stop phaser fire and you have to have this modulating 
algorithm in the phasers so that they continually adapt to the shielding. And we see that in all of the Borg interactions between, like, I know on first contact, we see that done really well. And then also in TNG, not your average enemy, you can point and shoot. You have to really outthink and outsmart them. Usually have ocular implants, and we definitely see that with Picard, but most famously with Seven of Nine. And to me, I've always thought they were kind of arrogant. They really don't pay attention to species that are inferior to them. They really don't care. Now, and this is shown with the Kazon. Now, if you haven't watched Voyager before, the Kazon are this kind of patriarchal, I almost want to say backwater kind of species where they're kind of annoying and they're, they do more harm to themselves than good. The Borg actually, Janeway says that they didn't even consider the Kazon because they were just so inferior. So to me, air of arrogance about them that we're just not even going to bother you. And most famously, if you're on the Borg cube and you don't pose a threat, they don't even care that you're there. They just w- simply walk past you, which I always thought was wild. Each Borg has something called a cortical node which controls all of the other implants in the specific Borg drone. Again, as we've seen with Seven of Nine, if that cortical node goes bad or is damaged, you have to replace it. And if you don't replace it, that drone will die. They also have like this creepy, pasty white skin. It almost looks like they're completely been living in a basement for 30 years and haven't seen sun. So, And we'll get into that because that's more of a nanoprobes issue. And again, like I said, we're deep diving. We're going into the meat of the Borg. Get your floaties on. We're in the deep end now. So we know that they're cyborgs now and that there's this biological and mechanical race. However, they have something that's super unique in all of Star Trek is that they have a hive mind, a quote unquote collective. Now this group think pretty much is basically just each drone connected to thousands and hundreds of thousands of other drones. So they have this group mindset again, and they have this subspace network that connects all of them and it allows constant supervision and constant guidance. So the Borg make decisions as one. Everything happens as one, but you lose your individuality in that. And that is the main argument against the Borg as a whole is that you lose your identity, you lose yourself, you lose everything that makes you a person, and you hand it all over to the collective. So that what makes them so dangerous and so fearful is that not only are you going to be alive, but you'll be kind of in this zombie-like nature. So one of the other aspects that makes them so formidable is that they have this damage regeneration ability. If they're in a space battle and they need to make a repair, they instantly can make decisions. They instantly can make recommendations. They instantly can carry out actions. Unlike a starship where you have multiple people and you have to kind of coordinate between that and communicate between that. So your opponent now is completely seamless. They can immediately make decisions, immediately respond, and there's no no hesitation. In the forms of war, that is a terrifying opponent to go up against. So when you engage them in battle and they have that famous line and we'll play that right here we'll play that clip here we go we are the borg lower your shields and surrender your ships we will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own your culture will adapt to service us 
Resistance is futile. So that's the famous line, we are the Borg, and they always address themselves in the we and with those collective pronouns. Voyager is a great case study and great way to learn about the Borg. I would say even more than TNG and the TNG movies, simply because the Borg are essential. You see the Borg Queen multiple times throughout that series. You learn so much about them with nanoprobes and how they travel and how they've kind of grown from a species that were referenced to as almost the beginning like humans. So I, if you haven't watched Voyager, I definitely would recommend it because there's a lot more flexibility with the, Vo- with the Borg as opposed to in TNG Borg. So one of the big things that we learn about the Borg is they have something called nanoprobes, which are microscopic robotic devices, and they are mainly used in assimilation. Now, when they're not used in assimilation and they're in the Borg and they're in the drone, they're mainly used for repair and maintenance of all those cortical nodes. And there's so many of them in there that I know seven of nine, they said that she had 3.6 million nanoprobes in her as of 2377. I don't know past that or what they're going to do with Picard and nanoprobes, but we see this in the Voyager episode of Scorpion where we explore more of those nanoprobes and how critical they are to the Borg. So, I mean, they even eventually use these nanoprobes as a weapon against species A472, which, if you don't know, is this interdimensional species, and they're the main villains of the Borg beside the Federation, and probably more fearful than the Federation because they can do interdimensional travel, and um, the Borg really have no answer for them, and they they can't assimilate them. So the Doctor and Seven come up with an idea of turning nanoprobes into this weapon that will destroy species A472, and that also can destroy the Borg. <laughs> I know this sounds super nerdy and super in-depth, but the nanoprobes are super critical to controlling the Borg and eventually taking them down. I could go on and on, but we didn't come here for nanoprobes. We came here to learn more about the Borg. <laughs> so moving on to how they get around that makes them so formidable is that they have this transwarp network that can take them to it's almost like a highway like an inter- interstellar highway that they can travel to in a matter of minutes they can travel light years and so that makes them so hard to fight and so hard to maintain and so hard to defeat because they can instantly travel across quadrants and there's nothing really you can do about it and they have these conduits which are basically like mine shafts that hold up these transwarp networks. And that's how Voyager gets home is that they go through these transwarp networks and they destroy the conduits all along the way. So for me, that's why I was like with Picard, it was, oh my gosh, they have Voyager has destroyed all this transwarp and they destroyed all of this um, hive kind of, base set in the Delta Quadrant. And so now if the Borg want to come get us, it's going to take them 70 light years to get to us. So I was like, how did the Borg get to the Alpha Quadrant again? And how are they back, quote unquote? We still don't know the answers to that, but 
that's how they can travel and that's how they can really conquer so easily. So one of the aspects of the Borg that evolved with TNG and then the movies and with Voyager was on the subject of assimilation. Now, assimilation is a process where the Borg integrate you into the collective. It's rumored that this Borg have assimilated thousands upon thousands of species, and they even give them a number. For example, species A472 was that. I think humanities is 5618. So they give each species a designation that they have assimilated. And next, it's kind of messy. And you can tell the writers and producers, and they were different showrunners, how they developed this. Now, with TNG, and I would even say Voyager in a way, assimilation was more about technology, gaining technology, capturing technology. You especially see that in season two in the early episodes of TNG. It wasn't really about getting people or getting drones. It was just about the technology. And if they did get people, it was super surgical and messy and gross, to be honest. And it wasn't something you really enjoyed seeing on screen, especially if you're eating dinner. I mean, there is even an episode of Voyager where um, these kids or kid drones are abandoned by the collective because their ship broke down and the kids try to assimilate people and they, they botch it. And it just led to like mutilation pretty much. Hence, that's where we get Echeb from. And that's how the Borg children come onto Voyager for, I think, a season or two. But however, in First Contact, we've seen it by they inject nanoprobes through tubes coming out of the arms and wrist. So it's definitely less messy and it's definitely less invasive as opposed to adding implants while the person's still a human being. And so the nanoprobes really speed along. So I, I think the producers and the writers were like, okay, nanoprobes are going to be better in just an easier way. And then those cyborg implants come later, but you can still be Borg without them, as we've seen in First Contact. However, some species are resistant. Like I said, um, the Kazon, they didn't care because they were in technologically inferior so the Borg didn't care to assimilate them. Species A472, they were completely rejected, the assimilation tactics. And then just a little shout out to Enterprise. Dr. Flox's species had antibodies in their blood that rejected assimilation in those nanoprobes. So, I mean, it, it you can fight the assimilation on a biological level. However, for humans, we're super susceptible to it. A lot of humanoid races are. So we'll, we'll take a little bit of a break right now because we're about to get into the Borg Queen, which is a big, big section, and then also into Borg creation myths. Um, hope everyone's doing great out there. Um, I know a lot of this material can be heavy and it's just super in-depth, but I'm trying to make it fun and, and spice things up. So um, I was watching First Contact last night and one of the... Um, fun things I have with one of my old college roommates is, is when the lady says to Picard after he freaks out, it's like, you broke your little ships. So this is for you, Alan, if you're listening to this. Um, and so whenever we, we be anywhere in the country, we, if one of us is watching first contact, we'll mention that line. You broke your little ships. I know Star Trek is a great way to 
bond with people and it's definitely in my life has been that aspect. So, and even like I said, with the Hemdell group at the beginning of the episode, like it's, it's a great way to connect. So, um, especially in this time of isolation, definitely reach out to people, make some, uh, long distance friends. It's fun. And we'll definitely get through this and be stronger than we were before. I know a lot of the episodes I've done in the past have been kind of around the 20, 30 minute mark just depending, but with this Borg series, it's going to be a lot longer. <laughs> For example, usually I'll do maybe like three or four pages of notes. This episode alone has nine pages, so prepare. But that's what we came here for. That's what we're here to learn and to explore and to develop um, our greater knowledge of Star Trek lore. So we took a little bit of a break, breaking the law of that up so it's not super monotonous on your drive home or hopefully you're not driving, hopefully you are home. <laughs> And uh, wherever you're listening to this, thank you. So let's get into the Borg Queen. So before the first Contact movie came out, we really had no idea how the Borg were commanded or operated internally. I mean, as much as we learned, it was just a, okay, they're a collective mind and that's how they make decisions. However, she is introduced in First Contact and it really kind of turns everything upside down. And we're about to play a clip of her introduction and listen to her pronouns and how she introduces herself and the Borg itself. Let's roll that clip. Who are you? I am the Borg. That is a contradiction. The Borg have a collective consciousness. There are no individuals. I am the beginning, the end, the one who is many. I am the Borg. Greetings. I am curious, do you control the Borg Collective? You imply a disparity where none exists. I am the collective. Perhaps I should rephrase the question. I wish to understand the organizational relationships. Are you their leader? I bring order to chaos. Alice Cringe plays the Borg Queen in that scene. And as you probably heard Data, he's like, well, how can you? You're saying, I, I am the Borg. I am the collective isn't that wrong. It's normally they're this collective, it's we, 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 and now you're coming out as I. And she doesn't really give a good explanation of that. So the reason they did this, so a little fun fact before we delve in more to the Borg Queen, this person, Alice Cringe, played the Borg Queen in Endgame, the famous Voyager last episodes, and First Contact, the movie. However, Susanna Thompson played the Borg Queen in Dark Frontier and Unimatrix Zero. So it hasn't been, I don't, I think this was just a casting decision. I don't think it was a, oh, there's multiple queens. Now, there are theories out there that there are multiple queens. I don't subscribe to that theory. I think it was just a simple casting decision because they look so much alike and they talk so much alike. I really didn't know they were two different people until I started researching. So a little fun fact there. 
as she said to Data, she brings order to chaos and that interchange, which is weird. The reason I don't, I'm just the face of the collective. I'm not the controller. However, in Voyager, we see the Borg Queen is super contradicting her words, is that she actually commands, directs, and even overrides the collective a few times in Voyager episodes. So it's kind of all over the map. I, I don't think it's a a science fiction reason why or a, a canon reason why. I just think it's a, it's a plot hole <laughs> and that they didn't, again, we didn't know First Contact would be this big of a movie in the Borg, so they probably are just kind of filling in the gaps week to week on Voyager. And then, so there's continuity issues, but that's okay. That happens in Star Trek, especially with something so expansive and large that it's, it's bound to happen. Again, there's some Easter eggs on the Borg queen in first contact. We had no knowledge prior of how the Borg commanded and internally made decisions. We just thought they were just one big collective. However, the writers of First Contact said the audience would have a really difficult time of putting a face to that. And so the writers, Brandon Braga and Ronald Moore, brought in the Queen for more, as quote-unquote, dramatic necessity. To bring a face to the villain that people could identify and that they could pretty much hate. I, I agree because the original idea was they would just have these mindless drones talking. And as Data is captured and then Picard's captured, they just have these mindless drones talking. And you really can't feel an animosity against just these random drones walking around. I understand why they centralized it in one figure and made that figure the point of animosity. So smart on them. I think it made sense and even expanded a little of the Star Trek lore and canon of the board. To wrap up the Borg Queen, we really have no, there's a lot of contradictions in if she's the head and commander of the Borg, if she's just an avatar for the Borg, but it's just kind of, I think it's something in between. Again, there's a lot of plot holes with her just because of the development of First Contact and the writer's decisions. So we really have no concrete way, but this is the extensive research I found on her. And it would make sense if there are multiple queens, though, just on a, a realistic way to command hundreds of thousands of people. So we went from one interesting hot topic to another interesting hot topic, which is the Borg creation and canon of their creation. Now, this is probably the part of the Borg canon that left me so frustrated because there literally is no concrete. There's like little snippets in the movies and little snippets in the episode, but there is no concrete one creation myth. We're calling it creation myth because they develop out of something and we don't, we don't know what um, they've either they developed as a species or they've developed some other way. If you have an idea or if you want to debate it, please reach out to me at Omega particle podcasts on Instagram or you can email me at omegaparticlepodcast at gmail.com. Love hearing from you guys and continue to. So the official, we'll start off with the official and then we'll get into the unofficial fun stuff that's in books and that's been kind of rumored out there, including a Picard one, which is super interesting. So the official creation idea of where the board came from was that we know they originated in the Delta Quadrant. 
And according to the Borg Queen, they started off as normal plain life forms that were weak, etc., etc., and then evolved and developed into where they are now. Guinan even in TNG shows that they've been evolving like this for thousands of years. So we have some continuity from First Contact in the series with Guinan. So what we learn most about the first instance of the Borg come from this Voyager episode called Dragon's Teeth. So in this Voyager episode, we learn a lot about first instance of how far back the Borg go. Now, that since they've been in the Delta Quadrant, we really have no idea what they've been up to since it's all Star Trek is normally all Alpha Quadrant specific history, which it should because that's where the Federation's at. <laughs> so in this ep- Voyager episode, Dragon's Teeth, we find somebody named Gordron, and he's from a species called the Vardwar, and he's been in suspended animation for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. Very long time. The Voyager crew comes upon him, takes him out of suspended animation, and he is shocked to find that the Borg are actually this huge villain in the Delta Quadrant and all of the universe, because in 1482, they were just kind of this nuisance in the Delta Quadrant. They weren't anything to fear. They were, he almost describes that they were annoying. He said they had a few colonies and they were just, yeah, considered more of an annoyance, nothing to be really taken serious. We see the very earliest record of the Borg in the 15th century on the start, the official Star Trek canon. Now, again, this is where it kind of gets into the weeds a little bit is that the unofficial one is and it doesn't it's not supported at all timeline wise it's it's just garbage just to be honest but i want to give you all of the most relevant and up-to-date info and this is one of the big theories out there super debunkable but i just would rather maybe you guys listen to it maybe you'll disagree with me maybe it's not debunkable to you if you remember from star trek the original movies is that there's something called a V'ger theory comes from the Star Trek movies and the Star Trek encyclopedia. And it speculates the creation of the Borg was from this old Voyager probe that this vessel encountered in Star Trek, the motion picture also was mentioned in William Shatner's novel, the return. And even in this like random Star Trek letter, it's called Starlog number 160. He mentions that the Borg came from this old V'ger, quote-unquote, Voyager probe that was launched, I think, in the 70s. Now, the theory is that V'ger was sucked into a black hole. It was found by these living machines. Now, which could tie to Picard and those living machines from another galaxy or another I don't know, dimension maybe. So there is some connection there. I'm not going to lie. And they gave V'ger a form, like a physical form that they were able to put programming in. It was simple programming, but programming in this form, they couldn't, and this living machines couldn't figure out who made this V'ger, this probe. So hence the Borger creation of V'ger, an extension of V'ger. I don't know if I personally 
think that's a good theory, and this is why. Number one, yes, the Borg were created. However, as we know from Voyager, they were around the 14th century. So you couldn't get V'ger creating the Borg if the if Voyager probe was launched in the 70s. So there's some continuity errors there with this theory. Second, um, the Borg were not aware of the Alpha Quadrant until the, the mid-22nd century. Again, continuity errors. So the timeline is kind of bogus. It doesn't really add up. And you have to do some like temporal backflips to make this V'ger theory work. And I don't think it's a good one. However, going to give you all the information out there, not trying to hide a thing. The next is even shakier. And it's this Romulan theory. And it's something that a lot of people are starting. Remember how I said, oh, Viager and these kind of ties to Picard a little bit and these living machines from another dimension? Well, now we have this Romulan theory. And thanks to Picard, this is fresh and new, right out of the box, new car smell. And I kind of think it's a conspiracy theory, to be honest with you, because it really doesn't hold any weight. So in Picard, and this, again, spoilers, I know you didn't expect spoilers for Picard in a Borg episode. As you remember, Ramda, which was the lady in the kind of the, on the Borg cube, kind of lost her mind because she experienced that um, vision of AI taking over the world and destroying the galaxies. She met Soji and she was like you're the creator you're the destroyer so this is that myth that we're going to dive into and and Narek talks about it a little bit too in this season finale and pretty much Ramda recognizes Soji as the destroyer so that must mean Dodge is the creator and so the theory is that when Ramda and the Narek are talking about this day of annihilation and that this day of annihilation will come and all shackled demons will break their chains and are led by the destroyer. So some people think that the shackled demons can be viewed as seven in hue, always connected to the board, even when they're technically XBs now and, and free and have their individuality. They're still, like Picard said, they still don't have all of their humanity left. So they're continually shackled. Again, you can make this argument that and again, we're doing some little backflips here. This is not my theory. This is just what people think, is that the word annihilation could have been misinterpreted and could have meant assimilation. So the Romulan prophecy, Soji, could rise up and reconnect all the Borg through that Borg reclamation project, and that then they could assimilate everybody. <laughs> so again, you're doing a lot of backflips like from taking the what's presented in Picard and saying, well, you could, this word could mean something else. And then, oh, well, Soji's the destroyer. Dodge must be the creator. So maybe the creator makes, and it's just, it just doesn't make sense to me. Again, this is from a lot of message boards and a lot of websites out there. We really have no concrete creation stuff from the board. It's, it's really kind of difficult. So maybe we'll get that in Picard. Maybe we'll get that in a seven series. I definitely think they should explore it. There's, I think there's one video game, old PC video game reference. But again, it's like falls in line with the official canonized, quote unquote, 
theory that they were some like human humanoid species and then they evolved and evolved and evolved. However, that has been the first installment into the Borg. Assimilate this. Okay. That is the first one out of the way. Wow. Yeah, I didn't mean it to be so technical, especially at the beginning. However, this is good rehash if you didn't know how the Borg operated or if you never really got in a Voyager. This is a great kind of crash course into the Borg and even some fun little um, theories about how they were created. So the next couple episodes, and I say couple because I don't want these to be an hour or two or three hours long, is that we'll be going into the history of the Borg and how the captains interacted with the Borg. So we have a lot of time. We have the 15th century all the way up to the 24th century. We have captains from Archer all the way to Janeway and Cisco. So we have a lot and it's going to be a fun series to do. I'm excited. This was actually a big debate when I first started the podcast. Would I do Khan or would I do the Borg? And then as Picard developed, I was like, save the Borg for later. That's going to be a lot more great meteor series. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming along. Again, for Star Trek news, really haven't heard anything out there. Everyone's kind of just surviving and trying to get through this whole pandemic. And again, if you're, this is around April, 2020. So I don't know when you're listening to this in the future, but right now there's a global pandemic going on and we're all stuck at home. And I just want to say we're in this together. We'll get through those guys and we'll come out stronger on the other end, like I said before. And if you want to talk Trek, if you want to reach out, you know how to do that on Instagram, through email. And um, we'll continue to push out this board content for you. And we just want to say, stay strong. And remember, second start of the right, straight on to morning. Morning.